Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Now, if you are watching this, you'll realize I'm all by myself. And if not, you're listening to it. I'm telling you now, I'm all by myself. That is because I was overseas and Charlie actually did an episode with some very special guests of ours. So I thought I'd sneak in and do an intro. But before we kick it off, if you're sitting there and you're feeling a bit lonely, just like I am right now, don't worry, I got something for you. Head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, subscribe to the newsletter and hit reply. Ask me some questions. Let me know. Let's hang out together. I got nothing else. All right, let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, guys, here for another episode of Property and Investing. This week, though, we're doing something a little bit different. And I might say this could come out better and change things forever on the show. I've replaced Grant with Karina Fox from DNF Finance. This could be a huge change. Aaron, what do you think? I think we've definitely improved the looks of this podcast so far by dropping someone and introducing someone else. How do you feel about it? Well, I think I think Grant just bought his property and ran away for a little bit, didn't he? We just had to upgrade, upgrade looks, upgrade talk, upgrade everything. That I see. So most notably, Aaron and Karina here both work together at DNF Finance. They are mortgage broking and finance specialists when it comes to borrowing and who I actually personally use. Now, full disclosures, they are sponsors of the show, but I bring them on here for very specific reasons because they are excellent. And I mean excellent at what they do. So if you are looking to get some assistance with borrowing or you want to have your loans reviewed with all the things that are going on, highly encourage it. Now, I've brought them both on for a very specific reason today, and I'm going to say it is of self-interest, huge self-interest. We're talking about the idea of when it's appropriate to actually buy a home to live in or when it's appropriate to buy a PPR or even that dream home at some point. Now, for myself, this is something in heavy consideration I'm looking at at the moment. I've actually got my eyes in a property right now. I walked past it this morning just to kind of feel what it was like. Dressing and I'm very down included. I was in my trackies, I won't lie, because it was quite early and I was like, just duck out and have a little look. So we're going to dig into that because I think it's a really important topic. So Aaron, Karina, welcome to the episode. Thank you going? so much. <laughs> uh, so, so awesome to have you guys here. So I'll kick this one off and I'm going to go straight to our newest guest here, Karina, just to make it a little bit awkward. Wait, actually, Karina, is this your first podcast? Absolutely. Amazing. Welcome. <laughs> I'm glad this is the first podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Are you a little bit nervous? No, not at all. I am prepped. I am ready. I am present. Let's get into it. Amazing. Well, I'm just going to go straight for the hard-hitting question out of the gate here. In your opinion, when is the appropriate time to buy your PPR on this journey of being a property investor? So, you know, the analogy of how long is a piece of string? How deep's a hole? Pretty much. It's <laughs> it's all based on the individual. So I feel like 
when is a good time for you might not be a good time for someone else. Everyone's circumstances are different. So you've got to, you know, kind of consider your own position and whether it's the right time for you. It could be tomorrow. <laughs> it could be a year's time. It could be never. So my opinion on that is it's, a, it's an unknown. Can I ask a personal question then? What's yeah. your own opinion for yourself? How are you approaching it? I don't have an intention to buy a PPR anytime soon. How did you come to that conclusion? My partner and I had an interesting conversation that he has no intention to buy a PPR. <laughs> uh, but jokes aside, um, I, I don't have a, a drive or an appeal to live in one particular area right now. So it's something that I, for 10 years, I've been uh, moving around and I quite like the idea of uh, living where I want to live and, uh, yeah, having some options available. Circumstances might change. I don't have children, so the idea of settling down to give stability for family is uh, not a consideration right now. So perhaps that could change uh, my idea of settling in one space. Do you know what? Often, I, I guess the idea of renting gets looked down upon for many reasons, right? The I suppose security being one of the most notable and just the unknowns of it. But that flexibility piece, when you are a renter, to not be locked into any location and have the idea of like trying and almost like wayfinding our way through different locations, really an advantage that can come into this. So a very interesting way to look at it. Now, Aaron, I want to kick the same questions to you and see how your opinion, I mean, maybe you guys shared notes and they're going to be the same, but at the same point, I suspect you might have different points of view here. So from your point of view, when is it appropriate for someone to look at that PPR? Well, I, I suppose we, we, do, we do obviously have personal circumstances to be able to draw upon to be able to buy your principal place or, or um, buy investments or I think everyone needs to continue building their wealth, whatever choice they make. But when when is the right time? Um, I have I have a uh, different experience. I have my personal uh, uh, my principal place of residence, um, and then I started investing from there. Um, my kids are walking distance from school, uh, and as they've grown older, that's been a little bit easier for them to get to school and back. Uh, the principal place of residence is provided. Um, the unfair advantage on a few things to be able to build wealth. So I, I feel that this question uh, probably could be summarized in two, two aspects. You've got some financial considerations and you've also got some social context to be able to put into it. Um, love Karina's story with regards to wanting to live around a whole range of areas. And I like the story of being able to have safety where the kids can walk to school as they grow older. So um, but also financially, like uh, raising interest rates, um, decreasing house values, taking the media aspect of things like is it financially right now um, or is it something that you just want to put get some roots down and, and have stability there? It's such an interesting topic and I would love if we could almost like bring up some different factors for people to consider. So brainstorm on that while I share some experiences <laughs> here. For, for me, and I'm going to share what, worked out for me, but I noticed this isn't for all people. When I was about 22, 
we bought a home just because it was what our parents did and was kind of encouraged. There wasn't a lot of thought in, that went into it. And to this point, I still think one of the funniest things that's happened in my life is I bought this house basically because I liked the garage. At that point in my life, I felt like the garage was very important and this property had a killer garage. And I was like, well, we're going to be set for here. Now, just coincidentally, it was in a, an area with a really good school zone. It also had massive government infrastructure spending coming and a whole bunch of other like growth factors that made it a really good investment. So in my case, I got lucky. I don't pretend I was a genius. I look at this and go, hey, I bought a place because it's got a nice garage. Just so happens to turn out it was a really nice investment and has essentially, I'm going to say, almost tripled in value since I bought it when I was about 22. Now, in my case, that experience has ended up being a really powerful leverage point and leap point for me to do investing. It's inevitable that having that type of asset and that type of equity uh, available to me offers huge advantages. But if it didn't grow the way it did, which didn't happen for all people, and I, you only have to look to what happened in WA and Perth after the mining boom, if you bought near that peak and then it went down in value over that time, you wouldn't have had the same options I had. Right? So I really look at that and go like, that was lucky and uh, is from there. Now, what I find really interesting about this topic is that for someone that maybe didn't have that experience, and let's say they're a little bit later on in life and they're at that position where they've got that first deposit, right? Or that deposit and they're now electing, well, do I buy a home to live in or do I invest? Right. This is where it gets really fascinating because I didn't even consider the idea of investing. It was just, you know, buy a home. But when someone's stage of life is different, and this is the personal circumstances we're looking at from there, that's where all these conflictions start to come from. And then the other side of things is once you start to invest, like I have, that when do you upgrade becomes a really interesting question as well. Or when's appropriate to buy your dream home when that becomes appropriate as well. So then the idea of these things start to become more poignant. So I'll kick over to you first, Aaron, on this one. But when you're looking at that considerations uh, thing, and you mentioned a few already, like the social ties and things like that, maybe being close to family is important to you in that context there. Are there any other considerations you would throw into the mix here? Well, we could we could pick on the pick on the, the landlords here if you really want to. We're on a property podcast, so who who wants to answer to their landlord anymore? Um, who likes to have a repair refused, or someone else ruling their life, or every six months having things uh, your rent go up? Like, I know I'm pretty well picking on. People that need to no, invest. No, you're actually you. throwing shots at me yeah. right now, Aaron. So for my personal <laughs> circumstances at the moment, I'm I'm actually renting right now. We had intended to buy in the area we're living at the moment, but with all the things that were going on during the pandemic, we actually couldn't find a, an appropriate property. And we still wanted to be in the area. So the decision was made, we'll rent here and eventually buy in this area. Um, the experience of being a renter after being a homeowner has really highlighted to me just like, yeah, Australia doesn't necessarily have the best rental setup compared to what is seen in other places. So you mentioned this one here around uh, like uh, repairs and things refused. We, we asked, and this is so ridiculous, we asked for some fly screens to be put on the house um, because we were like, well, we don't want bugs and things to get in when the window is open thinking, you know, they're not expensive. We're also thinking it's good to look after the property. We want to do the right thing. We don't want to be making a mess here or have anything go. 
to have them come back and say you can put them in th- uh, only three rooms. We're not doing the whole house. I'm like, <laughs> what? That is absolutely ridiculous. And then to your second point is that rents have gone ballistic in the area I'm in. And it's now becoming a very interesting conversation around with how much rents are going up, we can practically buy for the same cost or equivalent in our situation. So that is another really, really fascinating one um, that just highlights home. Now, there's there's a couple of things that come up with this one is um, back uh, many years ago when we were first starting mortgage broking, we had all these rent versus buy calculators. And I think we're, we're, we're either at or we're at the um, level of interest rate and debt level and rental amount that those calculations are all come back. Um, just yesterday, I was talking to a client and they're going, oh, I don't want to pay the, the 5.24. I don't want to pay the 5.5 or, or wherever your interest rate is. But I remember when we were providing those rates and they're going, how, how did you get your rate so low at 5.24? But I think those calculators have come back, the rent versus buy thing. So that's a really, really interesting one. But I, I want to uh, – the pain point for me here, and, and I've talked about it with Karina, is uh, what if you buy a house or you build a house and then you find that something happens to the house that needs a major repair that you don't have rental income to offset? So my personal experience, I've just had to spend $20,000 on stormwater now, you can drive past my house. You could take your early morning coffee, Charlie, and your tracky dacks and come past my house and go, how cool does Aaron's stormwater look? Because everyone can see it, right? I don't think it adds any value to the property. No. Either, right? No, like it just obviously it would maintain its value because it's the water's getting off the property. So anything that you do to your own property, you throw money at it, it just um, sits in the capital bank, so to speak, and then... Um, you obviously have no capital gains tax on your own house, but you can't access that capital unless you want to build your wealth with equity to buy investments or you want to upgrade your home uh, or you want to be able to um, utilize the tax haven of no capital gains tax and downgrade your home later on in life. Huge considerations here, right? That PPR doesn't have the deductibility really doesn't have the deductibility and things like that. And I feel for your stormwater situation, if you kind of spend money on a property, right? You want it to be value add. But these are the things that come with owning properties in general when we play this sport. That tax advantage though, and just to recap on it, is you don't, um, to my knowledge at this point with uh, PPR, there is no land tax, is a huge one. And then the second part of that is you, you get, there's uh, no capital gains tax either, is my understanding. That's right. You get a, yeah, so where in invest, property investing, you can get a uh, discount on capital gains tax if you hold for longer than a year, which is a 50% discount, but the land tax side of things obviously very, very effective uh, there, which is, again, this financial consideration. Now, Karina, I want to kick back to you. What's your experience been like as a renter? Is there a desire to own a home or have you had a great rental experience? The rental experience has been interesting. Uh, because wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no one says interesting because it was good. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. you say uh, your landlord has come back and said, yes, we'll put the fly screens in, but in three rooms. But often the case can be, no, we're not going to fix that. Or you have another means for uh, airflow, like your air conditioning's not uh, working, but or the fans are working. So because you have another option, we're not going to fix the one that actually heats uh, not just calls. So renting is interesting. 
I actually uh, have another way of living uh, as a professional house sitter. So I kind of get and have had over the last 10 years an experience where I actually haven't paid rent. I've just lived in other people's homes uh, with the requirement that I look after their animals while they're away. What a setup. Talk about like the not having to live with your parents so you can get out of the house while maintaining a low living cost so you can invest hard. Like what a leapfrog method to get into property investing. I am a professional nomad. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Do you yeah. have the desire to own and own your own home though? Is that something you personally see in one? I can see it in 20 years time. I can I can see it in the idea that when I'm retired, I I can imagine, like the idea is, you know, 60 and packing up and going traveling and, you know, the, the gray nomads in their caravans around Australia or something like that. But the reality is, you know, health um, issues can often kick in. And I think that the dream of traveling the world at 60 might not actually be a reality and I think there is something to say about stability. And I think as humans, we do seek stability. I, I love change. Adaptability for me is I'm, I'm open for it and I'm more for it. And, you know, everyone in the office has a bit of a joke about I, I live in my car and I move around. And, you know, I've, of course I've got some really I've got super glue in the boot of my car because everything is there. Mind you, I've got a coupe, so there's not a lot of room uh, in the back of my car. Um, but it it has given me freedom to choose where I want to live. And I don't take every, every sit that comes along. I really restricted it the last few years as I focused on, on business. And I think when you have a job that allows you to work wherever you are based it opens up opportunities for you if if you have to commute every day to the office or to the factory or whatever it is you're you are restricted on the area that you live unless you want to be commuting over an hour every day which is not uncommon in sydney well sydney three kilometers an hour 10 kilometers an hour central coast an hour (laughs) this is another factor right Really big factor. I'll go into some more, and and this is more uh, sharing part of my own experience. Something that's really changed for me, like I quite, the rent vesting idea to me worked. I really looked at the maths. I valued some of the flexibility and kids has changed that for me. And one of the factors I look to is that school zones start to be something we consider. So for, for those of us with kids, we start thinking about making sure we can provide a good education and what schools our kids go to. Now, in my case here, there is a school we really like and want Jack to go to, but it is in a very tightly held owner-occupier area. There is not great rental accommodation available for that area if you want to be in that school zone. So in some cases, the rent vesta thing sounds ideal until there aren't properties in that area for rent. You might actually have to consider a PPR move um, if you want to provide those things. Now, that's not an investment decision, a school zone. Uh, actually, it might be from the point of view, it might be a good area to buy because there's demand for the area, but as for it adding to your portfolio like an investment property would, it's not the factor you're looking at against other things like might be yield or cash flow or growth or things like that in that way as well. So hugely changed things for me in that type of thinking. Um, I'll kick this one over to Karina this time. We'll go to you first here. 
Do you think the idea of being a rent vester your entire life and then just having, a, let's say, a good accumulation of assets is still a viable thing in the setup of Australia? Or is that rent vester thing kind of changed now that rents have gone up so dramatically in recent years? Often rents are going up and they're not coming down when we've seen, I mean, when I started broking, interest rates were coming off the seven percents and going down and down and down and down and down. Uh, and on the rent side, uh, rentals have either stayed or have seen an increase, but they've not come down. So I do believe that there is value in renting in the sense that the ongoing costs and maintenance uh, are lower. So you could be paying apples for apples the same as your mortgage payment um, for your home as you are, like for your PPR as you are for a rental, uh, yet yes, you are restricted with the upgrades and changes and renovations you are making to your rental property, but it you know, when you look from an owner-occupier's perspective, as Aaron said, the stormwater, the cost or the additional landscaping, yes, they could be maintaining value. They might not be adding to the value. Um, I believe that it it is something that, yeah. Oh, come on. Have yeah. an opinion. You're only on a <laughs> podcast that's getting broadcasted out to the world. Um. I think it will continue for a substantial period of time longer, the rent vesting journey. There's a lot of space in Australia. There's a lot of developments that are still happening with uh, immigration, you know, coming back in. I think there will be an appeal for a lot of people who in other countries are used to renting. So it will be um, who are wanting to live in higher density areas potentially that might be pushing for uh, the rental market still being there. So I think rent vesting, where you can still be a renter yourself, but you've got the opportunity to invest to provide other people a home is a pretty good option. That's such a good point. Let's say you wanted to live in Sydney CBD, where there is undoubtedly a lot of high density apartments that are available. Not a great asset to own, one could make the argument for. But if it's where you want to live, that PBR play just doesn't necessarily make sense. You would, in, in, you know, looking at prior things, not guaranteeing future results. But like that type of scenario would enable the rent investor in a different way. Now, I did some interesting maths on this. And um, and when I say maths, I went to a, a website and found someone who had done the maths and I'm going to regurgitate <laughs> what they said. Um, the math says that if after 14 years, so if you were to stay in the same place for 14 years and uh, rental rates remained you know, on average for the last 30 and everything else, after 14 years, you're better off having bought because the mortgage payment that would be on the home would now be much lower than the rent to offset all the maintenance and everything else that goes into it. But the big flaw in this is that it doesn't take into account if you had invested the difference across that. So if you did do the rent thing, but you were diligent enough to do some property investing to the side, well, now the maths is really blurry because the potential returns on what you could have got in other factors start to weigh into it. So owning a home versus renting a home, the numbers can be so heavily skewed to one being a better or not better financial decision that it really does throw up some more into the mix here. Now, Aaron, what, what is your view on this rent vesting thing? Is it viable in Australia to be a rent vester your whole life? And is that a path people could pursue rather than, I suppose, what we'll call the traditional Australian dream here? Um, 
Renvesting, I think it has its place. It has its place for um, a starting out investor um, that may not have the deposit that's required for um, buying an owner-occupied property where they are working, where they need to go to the factory or where their place of uh, the schooling for their kids are. Uh, so rent renting can help on that side of the equation to be able to minimize the, the deposit required and maximize the borrowing capacity. So instead of going for the, the two, $2 million house where you need to go, you could probably rent there and you can go after the, the, the $400,000, $500,000 investment property. So that, that combo strategy comes into it and that also has a benefit on the, the borrowing side as well because the borrowing power for a rent investor can can be a little bit different to when you have a mortgage. So if your mortgage is $2,000 a month, um, they will the banks will put buffers on that. So it may turn into like $3,000 a month, uh, $3,200 a month of uh, sensitized and the buffers that the banks put in there. Whereas the rent, if you pay $2,000, it's just $2,000 of expense on the calculator. So that can have a bit of a difference on your, your borrowing capacities, um, the ability to, to jump into the market now with a lower deposit. So that's a really interesting interesting. Um, Can uh, you just give me a there. summary on that? Are you saying that your borrowing power might be better as a rent vesta because the rent is taken as absolute where they put a buffer on the mortgage because of the variability in interest rates? Is correct. that correct? Correct. Interesting. Yep. So if you wanted to go for like max volume, technically you might be better off rent vesting. Yep. All right, but the obvious counter to that is that if you buy a PPR and it does grow, is that that's potentially an equity play and tax might work better for you. So there's a trade-off. That's right, and that's the unfair advantage. So um, I, I know on podcasts and uh, on the uh, other podcasts that we, we delightfully sponsor on business and investing, the unfair advantage that you talked about that was in self-employed land or business owner land, the unfair advantage that a homeowner has here is that equity play. Like um, if you can't save up the deposit for um, an investment property or you've got some cash and your risk tolerances are right, we can, we can look to revalue um, your principal place of residence and grab some equity out to accelerate your property journey depending on your own personal risk factors and buffers that you require. Uh, so that's a really interesting unfair advantage there that, that owner-occupied or principal place of residence owners have as long as the property goes up. I want to do something a little bit more interesting in the mix. And I'll just say, guys, can you please pull those mics in? We are getting a little bit of crossover, so let's get them in nice and close just to work in from there. But something I've been really thinking about, and I've seen this in uh, other people's experiences that are around me, I think for most Australians, they do want to own their home at some point, right? It's like it is part of what it is. So the question becomes, well, what's too much home? All right, what's too much house? Like where's the point? where I've got too much house, so I've limited myself with investing. And then essentially, if you compound out this long enough, I'm not going to end up in a position I want to be. And then on the other side, what's too little home where it's like, maybe I don't have an asset I necessarily like or enjoy living in. And I might have all these investments, but my, you know what, accommodation's pretty crappy. Now I've been working through this and this is opinion, but I'd love your uh, thoughts on it. For me right now, one of the things I'm very diligent of is that my PPR is not more than 30% of my entire portfolio. And the ideation behind that is I want 70% compounding for me outside of that residence. You know, thinking back to the original Robert Kiyosaki type ideas of like your home is not an asset in one sense 
uh, because it you know costs you money to run. It does provide you with accommodation, but let's not start that debate too unheated there. Now, if I revert, and when you think about it, is if 70% of my portfolio is outside my home and that's compounding with an income stream, later in life, that's going to absolutely well and truly support all of my lifestyle costs, provide a really great asset base and enable me to uh, potentially, you know, retire early or whatever options I would like or really just explore the things I want from life. If you flip that the other way and let's say 70% is in your PPR and then you've got 30% outside the home, you can just see that like that's going to be a very slow path to accumulating enough wealth uh, where you actually get to be that financially independent person. So I'm of the view, and this is what I'm running with at the moment, that 30% makes sense to me. I know if you're earlier on in your investing journey or life journey, you may not be able to work to that. But at my stage, that makes a lot of um, sense. Karina, do you have a view on this? Like what's too much house? Is there anything you've seen or experienced with the clients you work with or even in your own opinions where you think there's something people can gravitate towards? I like the idea of the 70-30 numbers. You know, we work oh, in numbers, so wait, wait, wait. any percentage. Does that mean I nailed it? Oh. I think I've nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Um, <laughs> if, if you've got too much house, the house is reliant on you, your income, your earning, your capacity to manage that. And it's in, in a way restricting your option. You're not investing anything uh, yes, property value increases, access equity, leverage off that to get into another investment, grow portfolio that way. We all know that story. But if you have too much house and you're limited, if we go to the number side and the servicing side, that debt is non-tax deductible debt for you. Um, it's not giving you a return of income. So, if you're looking at the long run, your example was 70% would be compounding and well and truly cover your lifestyle. Well, if you have 70% house, then what is supporting your lifestyle? I in concur. The I think there's other factors to this as well. If you, if you get to a stage where you can work that type of ratio, you also start to consider, well, if I leave it a number of years, I would be able to sell something in the portfolio to pay my PPR off while still having a great amount of investment properties around it as well. It really opens up a lot of strategies, I think, as well. Now, just to be really clear, you're locking in on the 70-30 as well. You're good with this is the too much house ratio? <laughs> yeah, today- I'm trying to get votes yeah, behind Absolutely. It, <laughs> it, it works. It works today. It makes <laughs> sense. If it makes logical sense, then it works. Man, I, thought, I thought you were reading the the your income shouldn't go more than thirty percent of your repayment to your owner occupied place, and you've just mirrored that off. Um, some people Absolutely get up to forty now. <laughs> well, uh, again, my views I'll are just, a little bit different on that. It's like I actually, you know, they say, and just to clarify that, I think in general, uh, the belief is commonly in many budgeting circles. I think Dave Ramsey and others is that if you look at your household income. 30%, no more than 30% should be what is your house payment. And then the 30% of living, and then I believe about 30% for them is what you should save. Now, I'm not going to say that's a bad ratio in a lot of circumstances, but I actually look at it and think that personally, if you are investing too little and have too much going into a, a living situation, it's a bad ratio. I think that if you're investing less than, let's say, 30% of your income, it's probably too little to make the type of financial leap that many of us aspire to. And for many years, I've been in the 50% category. 
So half of what I earn goes into investing and that's what's enabled me to get good results is because I can contribute so much to investing. Now, coming into you, Aaron, what's too much house? Where do you see that? Oh, well, I was, I was listening to you guys and I was trying to calculate what mine was <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting about 40% owner-occupied. Now, this is where it gets interesting though. If let's say your properties were, so your ratio is still in favor. If let's say over the next five years, that would naturally shift to Absolutely. being into that 70 period because you've got more growing outside than inside. Um, and you potentially may add another property. I know you're, uh, do you know what? I suspect you've got your eye on something about now. Wouldn't surprise me if you've already got a play in the works. We're, we've both got similar plays in the works, Karina and interesting. I. And, um Karina's partner, we both we all got similar plays going on right this second. So, does the seventy thirty ratio work for you as well? Do you see that as an appropriate thing I, to aspire to? I, I'm 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 on I'm on board with calculating a percentage that you're happy with for your own house, um, and I think you have to do you have to work towards getting off hundred percent of your own house. You have to be able to uh, not be hundred percent house in your portfolio. You should add in to get it down to 70, then to get it down to 60, then get it down to 50, then get it down to where I am at 40 um, to be able to balance that out. So you have the decisions you want to make as wealth generates, as passive income generates. So I believe you need to have um, a balance of house. You can have as big as house as you want. Let's, let's, let's not get this wrong. You can have 12 bedrooms and 50 bathrooms or wherever you want to go. But looking at the values and looking at percentages, I, I believe get off that get off that hundred, get off that fifty, and I do like a seventy thirty split if you can get there. Well, where this actually there. came from is at the time, and this was a few years ago, is the idea being that if you had a home for about two million dollars and you had five million dollars worth of investment properties, that would be enough passive income to support that mortgage plus living costs at a reasonable level. And I just think I just ratioed that out and I think it should be a goal or an aspiration for many of the people or a different way of thinking about it. Conversely, if you look at your numbers right now and you're saying, well, geez, my home's only 10%, it's not unreasonable to think that upgrading or buying a nicer home is reasonable. You're not putting yourself into a compromised position if investing for you and financial independence is important. So I think there's a a double-sided play here to think about it. All right, next one on my, my list here that uh, I really want to uh, dig into a little bit. And Aaron, thank you so much for including this in the notes. You've spoken about the idea of potentially someone's built up uh, some investment properties. So maybe they're a rent vester or maybe they've got a, a home and they're going to upgrade at some point. The notion around at, at a point you can use equity from investment properties or potentially even sell an investment property to buy a PPR or to leverage into it. Now, I'd love to explore this and I'm hoping you've done a little bit of research on the tax side of this as well because when we go into this PPR land, it's like if we take equity from an investment property and we put it into a PPR, how does this all play out from do we get the deductions still or is that kind of moved around? (laughs) Karina's given me eyes off by Charlie. You are a can of wormings in this. I'm I'm ready. (laughs) So, so um, put put it in a put it in a borrowing sense of the word. So we can go down the line of um, is this good or bad? Um, and we've expanded on the topic of whether buying your own home is good or bad. And let's say you've done the reinvesting, you've built up a an asset pool. What what happens when you go to the bank? The bank allows you to take equity out of property um, for genuine reasons. And buying your own home is a genuine reason. Buying an investment property is a, a good reason. 
But when you go to buy, uh, pull money out of your investment property to be able to um, use it as a deposit on your own home, uh, then that component of the borrowing um, sucks up some of the loan to value ratio and also becomes non-deductible. So in the bank's calculators, we have a, a usually a tick box. Is this investment or is this deductible? Yes or no. And we have to tick the no box in this, in this case. So that may change your borrowing capacity where you may have thought, oh, that's an investment property. We can make investment debt. We can just pull the money out and we can put it in our own or occupied offset. That's another conversation we, we've had before with um, a few clients. But there can be some traps on that one because borrowing capacity and your loan to value ratio position has to be monitored slightly different if you're going to pull out equity of your investment property. It can work really well where people are looking to upgrade their owner-occupied property and turn their other property into an investment. Say they need a lot more time to move house sets, moving from acreage to acreage, and they they want to move over a period of time, but they're able to rent out the home um, and help their personal circumstances. It's just about structuring and whether it's good. I think selling makes it cleaner to buy your own or occupied because you just clean up the capital gains tax, you clean up all that stuff, you, you know exactly what your deposit is post-tax um, and then you can go after your principal place of residence, especially if you've been rent vesting for a while and you're now wanting to settle down. Um, but using equity can be a, a, a good alternative but just noting that the borrowing capacity can change um, and you need to um, accommodate that in, in the right structure so your accountant is not going to pull their hair out to um, try to get that that tax return done for you. Do you know it's so funny as you mentioned that? B, my uh, wifey and also accountant, right? It's clear that in her eyes, selling a property to upgrade our PPR works best in her mind from that point of view, right? Cleaning up the books. But you've got this whole other layer to that question though, is like is the PPR you maybe have now if you're an upgrader, is that a good investment still? Like what's the outlook on that property? Or do you even have to sell it? So if you've got, an asset, and this is my case. So the original PPR I mentioned I've bought in my uh, 20s year still continues to perform well. It's not an asset I necessarily want to get rid of. I think the outlook is there. So is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Is the potential headaches, compromised borrowing power, all these things that start to look at it becomes another factor in what we might consider here. Oh, definitely. Um, I was just thinking about the, the juice and the squeeze. You take your investment property and it's an orange and you take your owner-occupied and it's a, another fruit and you might end up with tropical juice. That is exactly what I feel like I have right now. Yeah. It's definitely – it's funny when you start to enter this PPR conversation about the thoughts that is so different than investing. It's like, you know, because you're imagining – when I look at investment properties, it's like I'm not imagining living there. I'm very like, is this a good investment? But when you start to look at PPR, it's fascinating how many emotional decisions and things that you wouldn't factor into an investment decision come into it, like the walkability of an area, right? It's like even down to silly things of like, you know, how easy is it to visit family from here or freeway access or things that affect our daily lives become way more important than the area itself. Equally, really fascinating um, on that one. Equally with the move and upgrade type of option and whether you can retain your current PPR and, you know, turn it into an investment for you or whether you're selling to enable you to do the upgrade is taking that mindset from the emotional connection that you have to the property now to an investment hat. Um, which I think do, can do equally you know what? It be was really easy for me in this case. <laughs> I was ready to burn that joint down. I am like, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, it's 
just by circumstances, they've uh, just announced another couple of billion dollars of infrastructure spending on a hospital upgrade in that area. And the freaking school zones improved. The school's performing even better. It's higher on the damn list down there. So it's become even more desirable as an asset. So shifted a big thing there. The, the, the point there is just making sure you do those calculations. You know how you mentioned before that you go out 14 years and it's probably better to own your home than to be a renter. Um, you probably got to do some more numbers and get your investment team on side, aka your accountant, because if you do move out of your first owner occupied and you feel like it's a great asset and then you move into another one which becomes your principal place of residence when you rent out that other one there's there's some time periods in current taxation laws and things like that to be able to make sure that you can maximize the benefits if you desire around capital gains and or if you go over the time period that you understand what is going to happen then when you have to offload that asset if you ever have to Let's unpack that. I'll use my own example here. So the home I lived in uh, up until a couple of years ago now was a, was a PPR before I rented this place here. Now in Australia, if you actually uh, move out of a PPR into rent, you get six years where you still get to take advantage of the PPR tax advantages. So as long as I don't buy another home to live in, that is still technically a PPR property for me um, and I can sell it at that point. However, if I go and buy this house on the weekend, which could be exciting, I have a limited window where I could take advantage of that. Now, um, that would potentially close and then the tax situation on that asset changes as well to Aaron's point here. Now, what's important to define here though is it doesn't backdatedly work. Like I get to lock in the tax-free uh, period up until we buy and move into the new one. There's a pro ratering that exists within it. But future capital gains from the point of a new PPR, that taxation situation starts to look very, very different. So you've got to be well on top of that stuff because there is a bunch of things you could do that could potentially uh, maybe not make it a great investment. So it was one of the first things that came to my mind as well, Aaron. Very important consideration. And you've got to forecast that stuff. You've got to plan that stuff. One of the, we've I've been in a lot of client meetings that they've just bought a home because they everyone else is doing it. And um, then they want to invest and they've got the deposit and they've got the borrowing capacity but they just don't know where to start. And this could be a person that's the first-time investor, someone that's got four properties under their belt. And, and it could have been luck. It could have been planning. They could have been just looking at the individual property. But the, the bigger goal of what are you looking for out of your investments is, is what you're wanting. Is property still good for you? Um, understanding when you have your property portfolio, what's needing, what can you forecast to repair? What can you forecast with tax? How can you make decisions now to change that? Um, do you want to do? Um, do, do you want to do uh, what's it called? Asset recycling, the ones that you can forecast that are going to have major repairs. Then you can buy ones that are a bit more newer or don't need the repairs. Is it that you need higher yields? Is it? What, all that stuff comes after you know what your goal is and what your plan is. And, and making sure you can forecast that stuff, tax, repairs, maintenance, those things, that can even be your owner-occupied. <clears throat> if you forecast lots of repairs on your owner-occupied and you can exit now and buy something else that doesn't take your time, effort, and energy, and you can build your business, you can build your career, and you can build your investment portfolio without being distracted on the, say, on the weekends or on your spare time trying to coordinate tradies and all that sort of stuff too can can really benefit what you're trying to do with is this the right time to buy your own home 
I love you brought it back to the goals there. It's such an important overviewing thing, right? Because we both have uh, might be personal lifestyle goals and then wealth goals as well. And I suspect the audience here very dialed in to knowing that. All right. Well, we have covered a lot in this episode. I'm actually going to wrap up on this note. I think there's many considerations and I hope for anyone listening out there that's potentially uh, trying to consider when is the right time or what's appropriate in their own situation, there are some factors you'll be able to take uh, from this episode. Now, of course, this is not direct personal financial advice. We, None of us on this podcast know your personal situation from here. So if you are a bit stuck on that, please do make sure you reach out to professionals like Aaron and Karina so they can get an understanding of your situation or your accountant or your financial planner and make sure all that can work for you. So big, big thank you for Aaron and Karina for coming on this episode. Before we finish up, Karina, your first episode, our first podcast, how was it? It was not so bad. See, not and so you ready to all. replace Grant? We're ready to get rid of him? <laughs> well, let me let me come on a few more times and uh, I think then we can give him the official boot. I'm for it. I'm going to wrap this one up here. Thank you, Aaron Creator, again. That's it for another episode of Property and Investing.